This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This episode of Large Almond Latte is brought to you by Bridget Sophie Studio, Melbourne's award-winning hair and makeup artist. fans and welcome to another episode of La Jamun Latte. I'm your host Nicole and usually I like to start off with a little bit of banter about my week but I think we've all had more than enough of the corona chat so let's just dive right into the content. Today on the podcast, who doesn't love a wedding? Um, Actually, I'd say pretty much any woman in the world pre-1900. On the potty today, I explore the totally cooked history behind today's wedding traditions. Then I review a movie that I feel was as equally painful to sit through as I imagine watching an ancient wedding would have been. The hallmark banger mismatched. So today when we think of weddings, we think winery, loose speeches and a carefully curated release of shots on Instagram posted for five to ten years post-marriage or until you get divorced. But marriage is a cross-cultural practice thousands of years old and much like most of human history, the meanings behind a lot of the traditions we know today are truly horrendous. Like, these traditions are so deeply rooted in institutionalized sexism and patriarchal dominance where women were just treated like perishable goods, basically like a loaf of bread that produces children. Like, you pay more for a good loaf of bread like a sourdough, but when it's stale, it's done and you get it from the clearance bin at the end of the day for $3. Awful. But as well as being total misogynist, our ancestors were also crazy, superstitious, violent pervs. But before we get into it, I want to get real for just a minute. This podcast is definitely about staying light, and there's more than enough heavy drama in the world right now to justify that. But I think it's also important to recognize that sometimes the topics I cover aren't so simple and surface level as I cover them, and it's really important to me not to play the ignorant or obnoxious card. So before we get into this, I want to acknowledge that the ability I have to make light of these traditions comes from a place of privilege and the freedom to reject them. The concept of a marriage being from love and choice is still a relatively recent concept. So I really want to stay cognizant of the fact that even in the developed world, women still are forced into dangerous, oppressive marriages. Since it's every little girl's dream to plan their wedding, let's play pretend. But I don't know, maybe visualize someone else in this scenario because spoiler alert, it does not play out well for the bride. So the first thing that's going to happen when you get married is someone's going to ask permission. This is more accurately known as brokering the deal and dates back to biblical times. So the groom or actually even the groom's parents would negotiate the price of the daughter. So basically that's working out between the two parties how many sheep or goats the woman is worth. Obviously, you're not involved in this at all. You're really busy washing clothes with a rock. Actually, women weren't even consulted about the marriage at all until around the 11th century. But um, I do feel that this is one tradition that should actually be kept. Like, 
hear me out. Not in the literal sense of granting permission. Well, actually, yes, I do. That's exactly what I mean. But for both sides, if reality TV has taught us anything, it's that everybody else knows when a couple shouldn't be together except for them. Take Mark and Jessica on Love is Blind. Like we all knew that Mark was the blind one. On maths, Babin knew Michelle and Steve were not a couple. And Connie's mum was like, oh my God, Connie, Johnny is not into you and this experiment is trash. Think of every episode of The Bachelor hometown visits you've ever seen. Has The Bachelor ever ended up with a woman and stayed with them that the parents didn't like? I don't think so. Like, I don't care if it's the parents or a friend, as long as they're brutally honest. Like, I don't think this should be a courtesy. I think it should be law for both the bride and groom to get permission from a friend or loved one to get married. I just really feel like the divorce rate would be so much lower if that was the case. But then sometimes nobody would get permission from anyone at all and the groom would just pop over to your village and steal you. And that, my friends, is known as a marriage by capture where the groom just trots on over to your village and takes you for himself without asking anyone, not your parents and definitely not you. So this is where the need for a best man comes in because he would need his best, strongest friend to help steal you from your village. And then if anyone tried to save you, the best man would fend them off, like he would fight them off. So definitely not the guy's friend who makes the funniest speech. In my head, I imagine the best man would be a lot like the hound or the mountain from Game of Thrones, like definitely not a threat to the groom. At this point, there's a really strong chance that you're not into your future husband, but you definitely wouldn't be starting any sort of scandal by sleeping with the best man. Just like today, the groom has his best man, so you're going to get your bridesmaids. And you should probably choose people that you you don't like for this. Being a bridesmaid now can be challenging, like when you have a bridezilla or there's always that one other bridesmaid that nobody else knows because she works with the bride who wants to get a stripper for their hands, even though the bride expressly said she didn't want one. And you can't complain to the bride because she doesn't need the stress and it's one of her best friends. But back in the day, it was way worse. So instead of just dressing the same as each other, the bridesmaids would actually dress the same as the bride because they were decoys. So if the bride had to travel from another town, the bridesmaids were used to confuse jealous exes, robbers, or evil spirits. The Romans would actually form a protective shield around the bride when walking to the groom's village because if someone tried to like kill her, they would accidentally kill the bridesmaid instead. Yeah, it doesn't really sound like an honour you'd bestow upon your besties, right? Because it wasn't. In biblical times, these women were literally the bride's maids. I know, right? That was a life changer for me right there. So obvious, but I just never knew. Okay, so now you're getting married, but who's going to pay for it? As we know it, it would be the bride's family. And that tradition comes from the tradition of the dowry. That is how many cows you're worth to your groom's family. So your dad would pay your groom's family X amount of cows to take you off his hands. Also, it's not like you're going to be contributing anything to the marriage besides male heirs. You're definitely not going to be working. So the dowry was said to help support the couple ongoing. Let's get to the wedding now. So your dad is walking you down the aisle. Oh my God, that is so sweet. And then he hands you over to the groom as an execution of your contract, because now you're no longer your father's property, but your groom's property. But we couldn't really just say that happened. We need the proof. So this is where the rings come in. It's not enough for your dad to just hand you over. The rings are the physical evidence. 
or the signing of the contract, if you will. So rings were used in ancient Hebrew, Roman and Greek civilizations before the invention of the coin. Also, everyone's heard that tale about the fourth finger with a vein to your heart, which is obviously not true. And I think you've probably put together by now that the heart actually had nothing to do with ancient weddings. Oh, okay, stop. We actually haven't even had a chance to admire your outfit and you look banging, by the way. So if you were in ancient Greece, you'd be wearing a yellow veil. And if you were in ancient Rome, it would be red because, you know, superstition. And in both societies, the veil represented fire. So it was thought that it would be able to fend off those evil spirits. Yeah, unfortunately, only from the spirit world, though, like that has to be really clear. It definitely couldn't do anything about the evil people that had put you in this situation to begin with, like your groom. If your dad was a super good salesman, you'd also be wearing a really thick veil if you were ugly because your dad would be tricking your groom into marrying you before he even saw you. I mean, in that situation, really, the joke's on the groom because you should always try before you buy. And then there's the most truly horrible history, which is the lifting of the veil. That represents the breaking of the hymen, which will be done later on in the night. So you might be picturing yourself in a white dress at this point, but actually you'd be wearing a red dress. So a lot of people say that the white dress is a sign of virginity and purity and you can't wear white if you've already been married. But that's actually a super recent phenomenon, like boomer era phenomenon. Actually, people didn't start wearing white to get married until after Queen Victoria married Prince Albert in 1840. Because before washing machines and nappy sand, keeping something white was super hard because, you know, you just had like a rock to wash with. So having a white dress was actually a sign of wealth. So then Queen Victoria was like, well, I'm super rich. I'm going to get married in a white dress. So she did that. And then people were like, oh, I want to be like Queen Victoria. And it just became a thing. So let's talk about your bouquet, which is definitely not a stunning collection of peonies or Australian natives. The bouquet is also to ward off those evil spirits. Again, not your evil husband to be. So you'll actually just be carrying a bunch of herbs and spices. Like you basically just walk down that aisle with a bunch of master food shakers. The transfer of ownership is complete and now it is time for your first kiss, which I thought literally meant the couple's first kiss, which it is not the case. So in the 1600s in Europe, the priest would give the groom a holy kiss of peace. Then the groom would kiss the bride. Then the clergyman would all kiss the bridesmaids. So it is just one big kissing orgy at the altar. And this, my friends, is why you need to serve drinks before the ceremony because I absolutely could not watch that sober. Everyone's had time to clean themselves up after that little orgy. And now it's time for the reception, which you are going to enjoy even less than being sold by your dad. Let's talk about the cake it's going to get smashed on your head. In the first century BC, the cake was thrown at the bride or broken over her head as a symbol of fertility and good luck. I'm sure that was a joke and then it just turned into something serious. Anyway, then the guests would like scavenge around and pick up the crumbs for good luck, which I mean, that's something I would definitely maybe do if there was enough wine at the wedding. So that doesn't seem too far-fetched. But you know what else is really good luck? Your dress. In 14th century Europe, having a piece of the bride's clothing was thought to be really good luck. I don't know who it was meant to be good luck for because you're definitely not having a good time. So anyway, the guests would literally rip off her dress. The bride had to start throwing things at her guests to prevent the ripping of the dress. 
Hence the bouquet toss. And then I guess someone just thought it would be a sick joke to throw in that whoever caught the bouquet would get to go through this amazing event for themselves next. There's also another history around the bouquet toss from the Middle Ages, which is equally as awful. So the couple, actually probably just the groom, especially if the bride's been kidnapped, couldn't wait until nightfall to consummate their marriage. So they would just like get down on the dance floor right there in front of everyone, but they just like threw the bouquet at the guests as a distraction. Like, honestly, as if a few herbs and spices being thrown at you are going to distract you from two people banging right in front of you. If they were a discreet couple, they'd go to the bedchambers and then the groom would come out with the garter to show the guests that he'd made things official, hence the garter. But obviously anyone could just say they did it. And the guests weren't dummies. So in the 1800s, they would actually have officials go into the bedchambers with them to watch them. I mean, it just sounds like a lot of these guests are just getting a porno from the first kiss to consummating the marriage in front of you. I mean, I know it would have been truly, truly awful for the bride. So to just try and keep a positive spin in my head, when I'm thinking about this, I'm just thinking about that wedding episode of Outlander because, you know, that's like basically the Middle Ages and I'm not mad about it. So that sounds like a totally exhausting day. So let's go to bed. Your feet must be killing you. So your groom, being the gentleman that he is, is going to carry you across the threshold. Actually, wait, no, nobody cares about you. The nicest explanation for this tradition is that it was unladylike to show that you wanted to leave your dad's home. So the groom would like carry you. And then there's those evil spirits again. So the groom would carry you across cross the threshold so your feet weren't touching the ground. And then there's the ancient Roman tradition where the groom just literally had to drag his wife into the house after the wedding because she didn't want to. Uh, Okay, so you've been sold by your dad, you're married to this superstitious, misogynistic pig who's forcing you to live in his house. You deserve a break, which is why there is such thing as a honeymoon. The honeymoon is also known as going into hiding because if you've been kidnapped, then the groom needs to whisk you away for a while so your family can't find you. Statistics showed that the average time you needed to be away was one month before your family would stop looking for you. So there you have it, the deeply, deeply cooked history behind today's wedding traditions. Our ancestors were not nice people. Do you remember that time like a few years ago now when you wore your Maybelline Dream Mousse Foundation and you had a tiger-striped side sweep fringe or if you were an elite self-hairdresser, you were peak sunning goals and you were definitely wearing way too much Clinique Juicy Tubes on your lips? Well, I imagine wedding hair and makeup back in the biblical to dark ages would have been even worse than that. Like, did you achieve a smoky eye with dirt, a lip colour by rubbing fruit on your lips? And what are the odds that that fruit was poisonous? High, I would say. Well, thank God we have people like Bridget Sophie now to save us from both of those tragic circumstances, especially on a day whose photos will live forever and ever and to infinity. Bridget is an award-winning hair and makeup artist based in Melbourne. She's been a finalist for the Australian Makeup Artist of the Year four times and a finalist for the Victorian Hairstylist of the Year twice. So she is legit. If you don't believe me, check out her Insta at 
Bridget Sophie Studio and see for yourself. Obviously, it's really not a great time for future brides or small businesses right now, but Bridget's here to help you. So if you book your hair or makeup for a 2021 wedding by the 31st of August this year, you'll get 21% off. What an absolute legend. Head to BridgetSophieStudio.com for more. And thanks again to Bridget Sophie for sponsoring today's episode. Okay, let's switch to something that is also bad, but in a completely different way. The wedding movie Mismatched, which you can find on Netflix in Australia, but I strongly suggest you do not. Mismatch stars Alex Vega, who you may know from the peak of her career as the little girl in Spy Kids, or from my personal favorite from Prada Tanada. She's a wedding planner, so, you know, if she was around 2,000 years ago, she would basically be Satan. So she plays this character called Libby, who is apparently this amazing wedding planner. So we open on a wedding so we can see just how amazing she is. And for mine, I'm totally underwhelmed. So they walk down the aisle to Pashbal's Cannon, which who doesn't? The roses are fake and the ceremony looks like it's in a conference room at a hotel. Most concerning is that everyone's sober. Cue the love interest who is some random that asks Libby to dance. I don't know who he is. I've never seen him before in another movie. Then she has to cut the dance short because there's an issue with the caterers and her assistant is useless because, oh yeah, that's right. She's working and she's not actually there to dance. So at this point, like five minutes in, I'm really quickly questioning Libby's ability as a professional business owner. A really underwhelming wedding. She's socializing on the job and she can't manage her staff. And like I am so many times in these Hallmark pieces, I am proven to be correct. The next day, her assistant is like, we really need to get a new job. Our cash flow is at a trickle. So yeah, her business is in dire straits. So they go to this wedding expo, which I actually think is in the same room that the previous wedding reception was in. And what a coincidence. The guy that she danced with at the wedding the day before is there because he's written a book. Obviously, she has zero interest in what the book is actually about because he's hot, so they have lunch together. And as we have previously established in Hallmark movies, if a boy and a girl are alone together in a shot, it means we want to bang. So then they're both on a panel for the expo and Libby gets up to speak and she's like, there's no dream too big. You should spare no expense when it comes to your wedding. I don't know, like to me, that seems like fairly negligent advice. And to be honest, probably limits your client base if you're only catering to the super duper rich. And then, uh oh, hot guy gets up and totally contradicts her and turns out he's a financial planner. So I don't know, his advice is a bit more legit. He's basically like, don't spend your money all on one day, dump the big event, save that money to buy a house. I mean, yeah, seems reasonable, but all of the vendors are filthy at him. Like Libby totally flips. She's like, how disrespectful. Everyone here makes a living off weddings and you just undermine us. By day two of the expo, the battle has begun to get clients between Libby and Ben, his name is. Yeah, actually. So side note, this expo goes for several days and not just several days and different guests come every day. The guests actually stay at the hotel and go to the expo over several days, which I don't know for mine is just personally my idea of fresh hell. Anyway, Ben is consulting and advising on these El Cheapo weddings and Libby is only offering the high level expense ones, like what the couple wants, but only if it's mega spenny because I don't know, like there's no middle ground. I just have a feeling that middle ground is going to be found by the end of the movie and I don't really need to watch it, but then I wouldn't have any content. So anyway, 
Libby's having a major meltdown by this point in public in front of couples. Again, super unprofessional. And if she can't manage stress, like I definitely wouldn't be trusting her with my wedding. But I just really feel like these couples would be able to choose between Ben and Libby if they just knew how to manage their finances. Like number one rule, set a budget. Okay, so Libby is so hot and cold and now she's going for a walk with Ben. This is where we learn why Ben has this super frugal view of weddings. He had the big extravagant wedding, but after a year, his wife decided that she was more excited about the wedding than the actual marriage itself. And Ben was left totally broke, which hang on, Ben, aren't you a financial planner? How did you go broke from planning a wedding and then write a book about it? Like maybe you're not so trustworthy after all. So then Libby reveals that she's wanted to be a wedding planner since she went to a wedding when she was six and there were hot dogs there. Yep. Big ambitions, Libby. And now Libby's off him again. So one of the couples that they've been fighting over break up because they can't decide what they want for their wedding. So how could they possibly decide what they want in life together? Let's just call them wife and husband because I literally can't remember their names. So the wife wants the big extravagant wedding. She wants a Nina Lang dress and yes, Nina Lang Yes. And a carriage because what's more romantic than butterflies? Mm -hmm. She said that. And then the husband, you know, wants to buy a house eventually. So he wants to go with one of Ben's El Cheapo weddings. And like we've established, Livy isn't that great running her business, but I just don't really feel like this is her fault. Again, I feel like if the couple could manage their budget better, they wouldn't be in this situation. But because Libby is such a big believer in love, she just cannot let them break up. So her and Ben devise a plan to get them back together. The plan is literally to speak to them. Ben speaks to the groom and Libby speaks to the bride. I'm so sorry I wasted five seconds telling you that part of the story because it was a complete non-event, except for the fact that the couple now wants Libby and Ben to work together to plan their wedding. But what? Wait, they're professional opposites. They can't possibly work together. Also, like, you can't afford a big wedding, but you can afford to hire two wedding planners, okay? Anyway, so conveniently, one of Ben's clients owns a boat, so they can get a good deal for that as the location, and then they have a meeting with the husband and wife at a food truck, so, oh my god, of course they should have food trucks, Cater. So, she's definitely going to be able to afford that Nina Lang dress after all, which Ben also negotiates the price on. Honestly, like, was Libby not getting deals from vendors before this? She is so bad at business. Hang on, did she at least get a deposit from this couple who can't make up their mind before she started working for them? Oh, no, she didn't. How do I know? Because they changed their mind again and called off the wedding because they want to elope. They literally just left a letter saying, sorry, we know you've done all this work planning our wedding, but we actually need the money. We were going to pay you to go to Fiji. So yeah, you're not going to be getting any of the money. Like, don't even bother to call truly awful. And these people are going to get some serious karma. But honestly, Libby, come on. I feel like at this point, your business deserves to go under. Okay. So it's the final scene and it, what, hang on. It's the wedding day on the boat and Libby's doing the final checks, but what the couple eloped. So who could possibly having this wedding? Oh my God. It's Libby and Ben. They're getting married using the other couple's wedding. Libby is even wearing the Nina Lang dress, but what? Then he's phone rings in the middle of the ceremony. Oh yeah, it's just old mate calling from Fiji. You know, the guy who didn't pay you for his wedding, but then went to Fiji instead. Sure. Go ahead, Ben. Answer it. Oh, yep. He does. He's just calling to say, hey. (laughs) Okay. Anyway, so they kiss and that's literally the end. But I have so many questions. Libby, how did getting married save your business financially? 
And also, you love weddings. Weddings are your life. So why would you get married using someone else's wedding, wearing someone else's dress? Like, and Ben, why do you even have your phone at your own wedding? You know what? Like, whatever. I don't care. I give this movie three out of ten, and all three stars are due to the pun name. Mismatched. And now it's time for the life changer of the week, which is a fact I discovered fairly late in life, but apparently is common knowledge to everyone else. Here it is. Eminem's real name is Marshall Mathers, so Eminem is just his initials. Thanks for listening to Large Almond Latte. If you loved the podcast, you can subscribe on Apple and give us five stars if you're feeling super generous or follow us on Spotify. You can also join our Facebook group at Large Almond Latte Podcast for more low-involvement discussions. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.